welcome to Dark Hammer, a Darker Days Radio podcast focusing on the worlds of Warhammer RPGs. I am one of your regular hosts, Chris, and I am joined by David. Good afternoon and evening to you. And, uh, and we are joined once more by Mike. Hey, uh, I just woke up, so I guess it's uh, it's morning for me. <laughs> it's morning for you. <laughs> and um, yes, um, we will be talking about for this episode. We're going to do a broad overview because it's we can go into deep dives on each faction at a later date. Uh, we're going to be looking at the topic of the elves of the old world, of the world that was, of the Warhammer fantasy RPG setting. So we've got quite a bit of content to cover. We'll try to get through most of it. Um, obviously, before that, we're going to cover some news and general gaming. So um, obviously, everyone's still doing lockdown. Uh, David, you're doing, you work remotely, doing research. You're, you're like me. You're a theoretical computational scientist. Yes. Yeah. Computers, that's all we need. Uh, computers yeah. and internet, as long as they're fine, I can do what I need to do. Don't need yeah. lab. Don't need chemicals. Don't need equipment. It's great. It's great. It's my it, life. It makes too. life so much easier. And Mike, I guess lockdown is something, but you you do work, which is sometimes you know you might be required. Yeah, I've had to uh, go out and dig some holes in the ground, that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, you know, thankfully, um, I'm doing okay, so everything's all right. Cool. Um, and then gaming wise, uh, let's think. Uh, anything cool gaming wise update? Um, people can find online. Um, I'll do some proper pictures. I finished painting all the heroes for Blackstone Fortress. I'm so glad I finished it all because you can't batch paint them. And I finally found my mojo to um, get back into doing some painting. Um, so I finished them off. Uh, they look yeah, mojo. Sweet. I need that. Want to send some sweet. light ones? And I played the first Stronghold mission for Blackstone Fortress. So um, that was intense. Uh, two of my explorers went out of action um, right towards the end. So um, it's a whole thing you basically fight against, you know, through the Blackstone Fortress. And when you do a Stronghold mission, you have to do four regular exploration rounds which could be fights or could be encounters and then you get to the main board which is bigger than normal fighting past chaos space rings beastmen the works into uh the the main location i had to fight into was a um a chamber where there were urgle and to get into the chamber you had to go past a laser barrier and then kill all the urgle in there and then find and recover a Dark Age of Technology, uh, late well, wep uh, weapon, which is basically a glorified, like, super cool las gun type thing, uh, or plasma gun. Um, it was great because the um, which one is it? You know, the other um, Rogue Trader model that came in Escalation, she's got like two pistols and uh, yeah, and the really uh, servitor cool. heads. Yeah, she's brilliant. She just, I just had her run into the chamber and she just gunned down all the miracles on her on her own. She is um, badass. Uh, anything gaming-wise from anyone else that's related or unrelated is fine. Yeah, related to Warhammer, uh, I was flipping through the old Warhammer Siege book from, uh, this is the second version, from like 1994 or something. And it has a bunch of instructions for how to make a castle out of a cardboard box. You know, this is back in the day where GW wanted to like, do like really creative stuff and just kind of use household materials instead of having to buy a plastic kit. So, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of want to like 
try my hand at that and just kind of see how it works out. Yeah, there's there's another. I think there's another like really old book that came out like for 40k second ed, which was like how to make. It was mostly called like Citadel. Was it like Citadel modeling or something like that? Something like that. I remember it's like there's a there's a there's a, a blue book as well around kind of yeah. like 495 where it was all about making terrain. So oh, yeah, I've also got PBA. I've also got the copy because I dug out all the copies of White Dwarf that had Gorkamorka content. So there's a really good one which has got like how to make desert terrain, like sand dunes and um, just using stones to put down on bases to make like rock outcrops and stuff. So yeah. it's a really good issue to refer to to make terrain uh, because actually, Mike, related to that, um, I've still got I've got a whole load of PVA and sand now to finish off these rock outcrops for Warcry. So I've got yeah. I've made out. Of out of thin, you know, sheets of polystyrene, the thin sheets that you normally get that pack um, TV screens. They're just the single sheets of it. So I've yeah. made layers of that, so it looks like um, like the, like a canyon. So you've got all these rock outcrops, and then used. Um, uh, I think I, I think I stole. Um, yeah, you heard it here first. I, I think I stole a lot of uh, coffee stirrers and um, jammed them <laughs> inside to make platforms. Uh, so then you can get the real like um, uh, kind of parkour feel of, of Warcry where people are jumping between platforms and rock outcrops and killing each other. So uh, oh, yeah. it should be it should be cool. But I, I need to just like put more sand and glue on it and then actually paint it. But I need to get enough glue on it because if it's not glue, if there's not enough coverage on it, melt it. Spray it, it'll melt, which is not what I want. Though I think that, I don't know if that's less of an issue with modern aerosol cans that they don't have it still is it still is oh feck yeah. why i use um, my airbrush yeah uh that's a good point i might have to just get some airbrush PVC, a lot. pvc spray um it works so much better and yeah. you don't use as much as well i find when i when i undercoat with my airbrush mm. buy a tub of the stuff and it'll last me a very long time where a spray can is like i don't know so months. mike how out of the um the siege book, you 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 gonna make a castle or are you gonna make something smaller to begin with, like hobby wise? Maybe just like a tower or something. I don't know. I've got a bunch of cardboard boxes and I got way too much time on my hands, so this seems oh, perfect. Yeah, classic <laughs> um classic uh, Pringles style tin makes a perfect tower. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Excellent. Cool. 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 Um, Those books then, are great because it teaches you like. You don't need any skill. You just need access to nice, simple, anything you can find around your house, really. Um, and I think GW, as much as they do some really cool stuff with their modeling, it's all about selling a product as well. Whereas you can obviously mm. kind of pick up a box, make a square, there's a castle. Yeah, I, I'm sure. In, I'm sure by the end of lockdown, Mike, you'll have like an entire like um, uh... city. Well, I was gonna, I yeah. was gonna say it's a Mordheim collection because you know all you need is cocktail stirrers, card, and um, <laughs> and a bit of time, and it's really easy terrain that looks really effective. Uh, right. Okay. Um, we'll shift on to news. So obviously, Wrath and Glory revised is out from Q Cool Seven. You can <laughs> buy it on PDF, and you can pre-order the uh, hard copy which will go to print, I think, end of the month, they're sending it off to print, so it shouldn't take too long. Uh, if you buy it as hard copy or PDF, um, you can pick it up either through DriveThruRPG or go directly to Cubicle 7, because I think go get, I would say, 
to be biased, go to Cubicle 7 to buy it because they get a full cut of the of their PDF um, money off it then. Uh, obviously, if you get the PDF, there are some issues with it. Send in your errata, you spot. There is a formal way of doing that, and that will then make its way in before the print copy is done. Uh, if you already own Wrath and Glory and have proof of purchase with a hard copy or anything like that, you, or you've got, already got the PDF through Cubicle 7, or you've already got the PDF for the old version through DriveThruRPG, that is automatically updated to the revised version. Uh, and the artwork and layout is glorious. Um, so, so nice. It's good. So, And then related to that, um, all three of us are now doing a streamed game with Gehenna Gaming, which will take place uh, infrequently. I think every two weeks is what we're planning for. Uh, we've got Session Zero on their Twitch stream right now, where myself, David, Mike, Crystal, uh, uh, and Ian um, are Chig. all and Chig are all playing um, uh, the the crew of a rogue, well, part of Lord Varenius, um, who's a rogue trader, his flotilla, and you're kind of like the the A team. You're sent in to do something, and you're a uh, a mismatched group of um, of uh, experts, thieves, killers, militant um, militant missionaries, and and whatnot. It's like our robots and robots, yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, then the other update is. For Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, they've updated pretty much every single scenario they've released for this edition with updates, which mean they get they have notes now on tighter integration into the Enemy Within campaign. So there's more meta plot kind of tie-in. Oh, so man. you can go, you can play Enemy Within, play yeah. play part one, and then do two or three scenario other scenarios from these other products. And have ways of knowing how it ties in or where there's plot hooks or there's like, oh, that's that cult or that's that person or it's that location. That's like crazy. That's, like, yeah. it's, that's it's incredible. So I played through it and it's it's seeing these little hooks and the, the other adventures is actually brilliant to go like, I kind of go off on a tangent to do stuff because it all can link now. Yeah, I, I would really love, love to like use this stuff um, again with like do it for Gehenna, uh, on Gehenna Gaming's like stream because like we can do one yeah. shots and again due to the nature of it we can like drop in and out different players different characters and get like a feeling of like a a, a, a band of vagabonds going across the uh, across the Reichland causing trouble uh, and then finally uh, Games Workshop had its uh, preview three which was insane again. They've got new giants, which are bigger than their current plastic kit for giants. So it makes three different versions. So they're larger again. Um, yeah, they're huge. Absolutely huge. Um, they've got we've got a model now for Demonifuge and um, her uh, Harle ex Harlequin fellow. I think that came out though before the um, preview. That was that was two weeks ago. That yeah. Um, and there is also in the preview some space. Mer oh, I can't remember what the 40k stuff was. I wasn't really interested in the 40k stuff. 40K you see, stuff, there was the new Inquisitor. Oh, uh, yes, that was fantastic. Thing. And the most exciting thing for Warcry is the <sighs> is the uh K Knights. So these so are nice. these are elves, elves of the mortal realms that come from the realm of shadow uh, mm -hmm. and darkness 
And so they are aligned to Eve. I think they're aligned to uh, Malarian and Malachith because we're going to get witch elves and also get some of these. Um, Malarian uh, and Malachith are the same person. They are. Uh, Marathi, sorry. Marathi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. So we're going to get some mix and match in there. And they're like, we're getting more of a sense of like what we saw with the first dark, healthy type. Um, what was it? Mistborn, who was in Warhammer Quest, yeah, Silver Tower. So yeah, that's, that's that's basically all the cool news from GW stuff. And if we've missed anything, we've missed anything. So fine, we'll you know, we'll catch up next time, right? But with that, we'll move over to the main topic. So, elves, uh, where the hell do we begin? Who wants to start with the origins of elves so we understand what they are, where they come from, and why they're so annoying? <laughs> they're annoying because, yeah, they're just annoying. Uh, who wants to drop, step into this? Mike, you, you Mike? seem quite into elves. Are you quite into elves? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. But I mean, I can <laughs> I can generally talk about the uh, uh, kind of the common origins. So for people that are familiar with uh, the old Warhammer fantasy lore, uh, elves are one of the first races created by the old ones. Um, and of course, they they came along after the Slan and the uh, kind of lizardmen's that were developing in in Lustria. Uh, but they're created as this like, you know, this uh really like a first attempt at making like a perfect uh uh mortal race on this world so you know tall slender um very aloof and magically capable um but also with really intense emotions uh which is uh as we kind of find out in the development of warhammer fantasy lore kind of a problem when it comes to chaos and how those gods uh interact with mortals um and they were uh, eventually kind of grew up into like a, a central kingdom in uh, Ulthuan, which is this kind of Atlantis uh, continent that exists between the old world as we know it and the uh, the new world of uh, Nagarond and Lustria. Um, and of course, uh, the elves were very highly developed compared to humans and even dwarves at this time. So when the uh, the polar gates at the North and South Pole collapsed and the uh, the old ones were uh, kind of driven off, uh, it was really up to the elves, uh, especially to be involved with uh, fending off the initial incursions by all these chaos demons and the like. So that's really where their kind of cool uh, backstory and history really begins. Yeah, they're, 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 we see a lot, I think, over more recent releases, over like the last two, I think it was mainly like last two or three editions of Warhammer, as in Fantasy Battle, I think a lot more of the common themes of, of the hubris of elves is was developed in, to the point where it's like common through both 40k with the Eldari and also... We see the same sort of problems turn up again in um, in Age of Sigma because we again see elves with uh, intense emotions, aloofness, and ultimately suffering from their own hubris. Uh, you, uh, what are they called the one the new mountain elf people, the Illuminus. 
Illuminous, yeah. They're yeah. certainly bringing up a lot of that old storylines. Yes. So I think what's what's really, again, the where that hubris turns up is that the chaos invasion, so the, the demonic invasion that happened as the Polar Gates collapsed, was foreseen by Marathi, but no one believed her. So you get that sense of the elves being slightly the um, the architects of their own failures, as always. And the demonic invasion is like Holsk is like all over the world because the winds of magic, essentially the power, not the winds of magic at that time, but the 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 raw energy of magic of chaos flows across the world. And it takes a lone king, uh, the Phoenix, the first Phoenix king, uh, Anarian, who entered the flames of the shrine of Aziran, and in doing so is essentially made a demigod. Uh, you know, he's blessed by uh, the the Eldari, uh, sorry, the the Elven, uh, I guess, lord of their own deity. But to fight the hordes of demons and to even slay numerous greater demons he drew a weapon which was one of which was a true weapon which was one left over which was sorry made by vol after he made a hundred for the uh the the elven murder god cain so there's a whole myth there where vol had to make a hundred swords he made 99 and left one out uh, he put just a normal regular sword and gave it to Cain, and then he made the the this sword of Cain, and this sword of Cain is cursed. So uh, upon a drawing it, Anarian's like emotions become much darker. He's obviously uh, much more egotistical. Uh, I wouldn't say perverse, as in in perverted, but he's he's much more. Uh, much more of a sociopath with murdering and destruction, but it is he he draws it because his queen gets killed, so it's a great act of revenge. And he, he his I think his wife gets ki- the queen gets killed by is it Nakari who's a slanesh great demon of ill repute. So um, yes, this sword is powerful, but uh, it has repercussions throughout the rest of the of, of his own bloodline and elven history now while he's out leading armies and butchering demons left right and center we have another great hero who's Kalador the dragon tamer and he creates the vortex at the center of Ulthwan on a I can't remember, is it the isle of shadows isle of mists it's something like that which yep draws the chaos magic away it sucks it down and it redistributes it as the winds of magic so it it's almost like it it puts it puts the raw power of chaos through a blender and churns it out into the 12 wind 12 winds of magic that we um it is 12 winds or is it eight winds it's eight winds of magic 12 is a different magic number for a different god um yeah, sorry. Eight winds of magic, um, and those are the the you know those are the the forms of magic that we are more well acquainted with if we are humans of the empire who are able to use magic because they're 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 fractions of a more dangerous but more powerful whole. 
Yeah, yeah. And actually, so that, um, that giant vortex in the uh, the middle of Ulthuan is, you know, really just a very interesting uh, aesthetic uh, to explore in games. But uh, it's also the uh, the main thing that you interact with in the uh, Total War Warhammer 2 video game, yes. which is oh, right. pretty cool. Yeah, it's the main kind of, you have to stop the vortex and it, you can choose whichever army you want. But um, it's a really nice story plot that it takes it uh, warmer total war brings it back to that kind of original idea um so it is i I would recommend total war it's a really one more total war is a really good game two is definitely the better version yeah but yeah so you've got the uh, the vortex has kind of appeared um kaldor is uh, as drawn his magic into it um but while this is all going on anarian has uh, he's off fighting and defending ulthwan um whilst Kalador is doing this, but unfortunately things don't quite go to plan. And Anarian, the, fi- the first Phoenix King, is killed, um, defending Ulthuan in, in his great might. Um, and this kind of causes all sorts of problems within the Elven society. So some names that we've already mentioned before. So his son, um, Malekith, um, is one of the, the kind of the big contenders to be the next uh phoenix kin uh phoenix king sorry um and he's the son of marathi um however this is not to be um because it's believed some people believe that he's uh, inflicted with um some form of curse or kind of darkness of the soul um so he's yeah. not technically allowed or the, the 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 powers of the Elven race don't let him become the the next Phoenix King, and they don't let him enter uh, the shrine to to take on the next ma- the mantle. Um, but the 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 vortex works, um, and it does split up the 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 raw power of chaos into a controllable form, and the elves effectively see themselves as saving the world. And this kind of sets up a little bit of their, in a way, it kind of exacerbates their hubris and it exacerbates their their innate pride in who they are um, as world savers and protectors of the world, so to speak. Um, so you kind of see, you were seeing this development of, oh yes, we've saved the world, we are great, and therefore they become, it feeds on their innate emotions that they have these strong emotions and it just kind of makes them even more, I suppose, egotistical in a way. Um, but it kind of then leads on to a bit of a, a nice little kind of golden age. They set up colonies across the old world, um, out in Nagaron, down in the Lustria, over to the old world and beyond the old world to to the continents across there. Um, and they do. They set up trade links with all the, the races that are around. And that includes trade trading with dwarves. Now, if anybody knows anything about elves and dwarves in any kind of fantasy, that's not a usual thing. Uh, but for a time, yeah, um, elves and dwarves lived together in harmony, traded together, uh, built cities together, and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, so yeah, that was that was all a a nice little nice little time for them being on there. Um, uh, unfortunately, as as with all things. Good times don't always last. Uh, no, they really don't. They really um, don't. It's, we come it's, back to our favourite dark sun. Yes. So 
in this time of of uh, golden age, so Malekith not being Phoenix King, he does get to rule an entire region of Ulthwan, known as Nagarith. And he also started going about rooting out the Cults of Pleasure, which were a, a secret cult of elves devoted to Slanesh, because this comes back to the whole thing, that elves have uh, extreme uh, emotions, especially you know in this time of a, of a golden age, uh, again, they're going to mainly, you know, they don't have any true military uh, rivals, so they're just going to become debauched, depraved, bored, and start, you know, committing all kinds of horrible acts and and perverse pleasures. Now, the problem here is that as he's rooting these out, he eventually discovers that behind these cults is his own mother, Marathi. And this, again, this is the question is whether she was doing this for her own purposes or whether she knew that this is all just setting up so that she can push forward her son to take the throne, which is essentially the deal that's made. So Marathi is hunted down, but sides of Malekith, and it turns out that she, um, you know, she then helps Malekith in his uh, conquest of the Phoenix King's throne, poisoning the Phoenix King, and Malekith then sees it as his chance to assume the mantles, assume the role that he believes should have been his uh, by, you know. Uh, but in by inheritance, and he steps into the flames of uh, the flames of the shrine of Azuran, and he is horribly, horribly burnt to the extent that he is then encased in magical armor by his mother, but is in constant pain. However, it doesn't matter. He's pushed by his pain, pushed by his anger, pushed by the poisoned words of his mother. And a civil war erupts between those elves which are loyal to him and to his mother and those elves that are loyal to the dead Phoenix King and those who are loyal to that king. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting to uh, to bring up. So Malekith's father had, you know, gone into these uh, flames of Azurian and, you know, stepped out unscathed. Malekith got burned, but every other... Uh, uh, individual that attempted to become the phoenix king including the one that he poisoned had always been given this like enchantment before they went into the flames to basically protect them from being burned um so we don't really know if this was a uh uh the intended effect or a true rejection or anything like that which is one of the uh you know kind of you know uh claims that malekith still has to this uh phoenix king title it's also something which comes back up in the end times, I believe, isn't it? That Malekith actually re attempts this this act of walking yep. into flames. So it's um yeah, it's 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 such a huge story to go through. Um so and as we get into the Civil War, obviously, yeah, there's there's a lot of death and destruction on either side, and Malekith tries to do a few pretty mental things. 
one of which is to undo the vortex, vortex of magic itself so he can unleash demons to destroy his enemies, which is fortunately thwarted. Uh, and the magic instead that he was casting it unravels and it causes the sundering which sinks his realm of Nagarith. Uh, obviously with his ho own home realm gone uh, and defeated both in terms of magic, in terms of numbers, in terms of not having a base of operations, uh, the Malekith and his followers flee to Nagaroth, the the uh, what it, you could basically say is the east coast of where North America kind of is in the old world, and they set up shop there, uh, likely you know converting many people there who were part of the elven colonies, and so we now have uh, the start of the splitting of the elven race into distinct groups because we have the we have. Um, we have the dark. We have those that remained, the high elves, who are called the Azure. We have the dark elves, those that followed Malekith, which are called the uh, Druchai, uh, Druchai, Druchai. And then we also have out in the old world uh, those elves that chose not to return to Ulthwin to help out uh, in the war. And those are the ones that become more and more entwined with the spirits of the forest, and though they become the wood elves, or I think they're called the Azir. There's, there's two down. groups of wood elves, something and, like that. I'm sure yeah, there's two groups. We'll come. I'll, we'll break that down when we get to it. But there's kind of elves that live in woods. Um, so yeah, um, but a lot of this kind of yeah. So you start to see these splintering groups. Um, so it starts to happen after the Sundering, um, and you get the the High Elves, the Azur, who just at this time they're still allied with the Dwarven Nation or the Dawi, as they used to call them. Um, but due to kind of like the the animosity that has arisen now between uh, Malakith's new Dark Elves um, and the High Elves, the Dark Elves don't particularly like the relationship and the success and the the Kind of the, the merchant and trade routes that are going on between the high elves and the dwarves. So the high elves, the dark elves, masquerading as high elves, decide to attack a dwarf caravan, um, killing many dwarves along the way. Now, anybody who knows anything about dwarves, that's probably not the best way to keep a friendship. And this begins a 400-year-long war between the high elves and the dwarven nation called the War of the Beard. Um, what originally started is the dwarves wanted recompense from this murder and the attack on the caravan. However, the high elves, being who they are, denied any any um, involvement, and they um, sent the messenger back from Ulthway to um, the old world, shaved. So they shaved his hair and they'd shaved his beard off. This is seen as a massive insult by the dwarven nation. Um, and is kind of the main thing that kicks off the animosity between the two races. You say that the the the, um, the war lasts for some four hundred years. It's it's absolutely devastating to to both races. Um, it it just keeps on going, and it it is so devastating that when the war eventually ends, 
um, because the high elves have to come back uh, and deal with problems at home and an invasion from the dark elves, that both the dwarves and the high elves are effectively left a dying race. Um, they are so greatly weakened by this atrocious war that they become effectively races that are dwindling. Um, so kind of imagine Lord of the Rings where they talk about the races are dwindling and the, the, they're moving off to their lands. Um, it's the same thing here. that They are a dying breed. Um, the dwarves are also weakened by green skin, bleh, words, green skin attacks. Mm-hmm. And goblins were invading their um, uh, mountain homes. But there's also a great earthquake that struck um, towards the end of towards the end of the war that shattered many of these mountain strongholds, which then again let in more greenskins and even some rat folk. Uh, some of the Skaven came in as well. Um, so we are see, you see a massive, massive decline in these two powerful races that were seen as original races, old races, controlling the world, set up trade routes. And now they're very much a shadow of their former selves. Um, so where are we now? Yeah, there's it's 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 um important how the dark elves interact both with the high elves and the dwarves. It, it really does set up the kind of the fall and breakdown of those societies um, because the War of the Beard takes place two thousand years before the coming of Sigma. So. What we've really got now is the dwindling of of these two ancient races and essentially um, preparing, you know, it sets up the world ready for humans to to take charge, whether it's in, you know, in the Empire uh, and that part of the old world where, you know, we've got wood elves in the wood, in the woods, in what would be Bretonia or in the Reichland and and the, and the, the Reichland forest or if we go all the way to the other end of the world, we've got Cathay and we've got Ind, where again, there are elven colonies, but of course, many of those elves would be recalled due to these wars. And that again, allows humans to, to uh, fill the gap uh, and take over ancient, ancient cities, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a lot of these elven cities fall into disrepair, and, but they're located at like very good locations, right? You know, like deep ports and you know mouths yeah. of rivers and such. So uh, a lot of human cities are actually built on the ruins of previous elven cities. Um, but as we mentioned, this War of the Beard was taking place 2,000 years before the coming of Sigmar. Uh, elves fled the, uh, the old world and kind of receded back to Ulthwin, keeping up some minor colonies now posts uh around the world and of course the dwarves were struggling with their own issues at this time and it wasn't for another i think almost four thousand years until about uh two thousand years after the coming of sigmar and the time of three emperors and the like and the yeah. it was really the um uh the great war against chaos that the high elves really returned to the global stage uh however they really weren't um you know going to fight this this chaos incursion themselves they went to the empire you know what uh, splinter remains of it there were and uh they assisted the empire in getting its act back together uh reunifying under uh, magnus the pious and uh one of the uh, the famous two elven brothers uh, teclas helped um 
established the uh, the Colleges of Magic in Altdorf to really uh, bring magical learning back to uh, to humans and kind of help um, help stabilize it. And it was through these humans, really, uh, especially the Empire, that um, they kind of deferred the battle against chaos because simply there's a lot more humans than elves at this point. Yeah, they kind of they kind of saw um, in in their own elvish way. Um, a lot of them at the time saw it's like we don't have the numbers to fight, but if we can set up something else to be a wall, we'll use that. We'll use them as a wall of defense, not because they care about humanity or they care about um, other races, but they care about protecting the world from something else and so therefore what what tools can we use so it was kind of um humanity and the empire see it's kind of like oh the elves have come to help us and they come to teach us and we'll learn from them and they they're going to protect us and stuff some of the um kind of the thinking of the elves there was like well there's another tool that we've got here to help us protect the world rather than yeah no we're actually going to be nice and help you humanity is seen as a as a tool by them Mm. one of the, one of yep. the things yep. that kind of runs through the theme of all the elves is elves will do things, whatever kind of whatever, whether it's dark elves, high elves, wood elves, they will do things as long as it is substantially benefits them, rather or benefits the protection of the world rather than individual races. Um, so they'll use people and things and other races to further their own needs in a way. Just the yeah. extent they go to is different. And it's it's interesting you bring up uh, Mike about Outdorf because I think that leads into uh, a point about where you will find most probably the largest amount of uh, members of the the High Elves within the Old World because that's Outdorf is a city then which there is a cultural tie to because there will have been many Elven sorcerers there teaching humans sorcerers in the initial outset of the um, colleges of magic. So it makes sense that there there's a substantial, uh, there's mostly an elven quarter in Outdorf somewhere. I, I'm sure I've read that somewhere as well, but I get the feeling that that's likely uh, one place where there would be a significant population of elves in the old world. Um, and then somewhere else more than likely is somewhere like uh, Marienburg, because of course it's a coastal, um, city, so mm-hmm. is a is a trading partner. Uh, so those are the the two places off the top of my head that mostly have the largest um, you know largest amount of elven uh, population uh, location. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, in the uh, the Dark Shadows kind of global campaign that Games Workshop did, the High Elves did establish a colony on Albion. So there yeah. uh, would have been quite a few. Um, kind of like Lothurn Seaguard and those types of elves uh, uh, banding about there. Um, I think also Tilia is a, a place where you'd probably find a number of uh, uh, yeah, elven tradesmen and the like. Oh, yeah. I think if you read, because um, we were looking at this a couple of weeks ago, weren't we, Chris? Um, Tilia has very, very strong relationships with the elves because a lot of Tilia is built on old and elven runes and there are still elven communities there. Even the mo- um, Actually, no, I'll ignore that. I was going to say Skaven Blight is built on an old rune, but we don't know that specifically. No, Skaven Blight's got a really weird history. Um, really weird history. 
So on the opposite end of things, then we've got the Dark Elves. So as we established, um, Dark Elves, the Druchai, are formed after Malekith and his uh, uh, allies fled west to the cold continent of Nagaroth. And what's society like there? Yeah, so Dark Elf Society, um, it really kind of formed around competing family units. Um, so you, like you have the mercantile families of Hag Grafe, um, you have the uh, Sorceress Covens of Grand, and you have these various, uh, I'm going to say in quotation marks, noble dreadlords. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a little unclear uh, if there's really like a feudal nobility or if these were just the most powerful and I guess thuggish of the uh, dark elves that were able to kind of seize power and uh, draw like a cohort of, of henchmen around them. And this is a society where betrayal and assassination is commonplace and kinslaying is just a fact of life. Um, and, you know, these Dark Elves, they they fled Ulthuan and their war with the High Elves and came to this new continent where there had been um, a few colonies set up. But they really wanted to uh, have all of the old amenities of their civilized elven life, but they didn't really, they didn't really want to build a nation themselves. So, of course, they set about just enslaving whoever they could the native humans of this world they would raid the seas to capture other elves um they'd even take a few occasional dwarf craftsmen prisoner and in addition to slave labor the dark elves have a ton of pirates the corsairs who travel the old world stealing whatever or whoever they can so you know what kind of developed was this compassionless rat race society driven by greed and uh with an aristocracy supporting itself with a slave economy yeah, I'm which is located. Yeah, jump in about the 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 other thing you were saying about um the the races they've enslaved. They're also quite um practiced at capturing creatures as well, aren't they? Because they ride uh things like cold ones, and they have things like hydras and and various other monsters. So compared to their high elf kin. Uh, who I guess befriend animals like you know magnificent horses and and uh, dragons and eagles. Uh, dark elves are much more, um, again, as you say, slave masters and, and beast masters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, uh, many dark elf ships are. There are some which are they're basically castles on the backs of giant sea serpents, which are swimming around, which is a, a very cool aesthetic as well. But yeah, as I mentioned, so we have this, you know, this, this brutal society with slave economy located uh, on the equivalent of North America. So really, the, the Dark Elves, I think, in a lot of ways, were kind of developed as a satire of the early United States. Um, and, you know, we didn't really mention it before, but when you look at the High Elves and how they're this kind of waning empire that used to have colonies everywhere, but has kind of slowly had to recede back to its one core island. I see it a lot of ways as a satire of the uh, the old British Empire. Yeah, yeah. Or definitely. maybe just Atlantis. I mean, you, you know... It's a bit you of read, yeah. yeah, you <laughs> can read it a lot of different ways. There's a lot of inspiration with Warhammer, which is why it's interesting, right? They don't just say, this is this is fantasy Russia. When you look at Kislev, for example, it, you can see elements of a lot of like Slavic cultures, but it also has this very you know, interesting, unique um, sort of... 
uh, kind of development from migration and the like, uh, which just yes. makes it, you know, kind of its own cool uh, and unique country to kind of explore in the game. So anyway, getting back to the Dark Elves. Yeah, in the uh, in the Warhammer War game, uh, Dark Elves, they have a lot of really cool army units. Um, they have these vicious repeater crossbows. Um, they'll commonly have these sneaky assassins which hide in the ranks of their own units and pop out. Or there's one assassin that can actually hide in an enemy's unit and just pop out whenever uh, they feel like it. They have these giant hydras that have been enslaved. They have dinosaur cavalry. And they, of course, have the poison-bladed witch elves that have dedicated their lives to the god of murder known as Cain. And they just have a cool aesthetic of like purple cloaks, pointy helmets, and lots of spikes and blades. Um, and of course, uh, Morathi, uh, who we mentioned, uh, Malekith's mother, uh, still secretly has her cult of Slanesh running kind of in the background at the seedier parts of society. Um, she's a witch elf and um, really the only one that uses uh, to use dark magic as a witch elf. Um, and it's really important to note how magic works in dark elf society. Uh, male sorcerers uh, are typically killed. Um, Malekith believes in a, this prophecy that existed, uh, a prophecy in which a dark king will be slain by the firstborn son of noble blood, who will be wielding sorceress powers of darkest magic. So just to be safe, you make sure that uh, most male sorcerers are killed off. Uh, I think a few do survive. If you if you play the old Warhammer Age of Reckoning MMO, there are dark elf sorcerers running around so there is some precedent for that but uh, typically it's it's more of a uh, a woman's job to be wielding magic cool yeah. thinking that there was there was something called dark riders but i think that's actually age of sigma where they do have male sorcerers i yeah i i can't remember off the top of my head if that was a, a unit that was in old there, world there was a unit which is in um, fantasy but i don't think they were Actually, sorcerers they were a, a, a kind of a flanking skirmish i think they're male members yeah. of the of the cult of yeah. uh, the cult of cain um yeah. which is the witch of cult i think it's really it is really interesting how you know on the surface you have this cult to to cain and this murder god and yet underneath it all there is marathi still with her cult to slanesh and pushing society to ever greater heights of depravity, because Malekith, I don't, you know, is is just angry. He's just uh, feels he's been denied his birthright. Whereas Marathi is, uh, you know, I guess uh, intoxicated with power uh, and the pleasure it brings. Um, she's she's well and truly after power. Um, yeah want to overtly be seen to be the one in control as well so she's she kind of puppets malekith a lot of the time to do that for her so she wants to have the power but not be the power yeah and this all this using this is... her cults and the the, the cults to, to cain and using those to further her cults of slanesh and using malekith um rather than being that front person herself and this all feeds into uh, the mortal realms. We see that price being paid by Marathi for for um, her hubris and trying to manipulate Slanesh. But that's for another episode. That's a completely different episode. Uh, so, yeah, Woodell, why are we splitting the three the, the, the groups up? So we'll we'll have an, we'll do an episode on Eldari and we'll 
episode on elves. Elves with yeah. Um, there's just too much here, isn't there? So, so wood elves or the Azrai. I've got the page open next to me. That's why. <laughs> so wood elves are elves that have existed in the forests of the old worlds, uh, and also um, the forests of. Uh, there's a particular place called. Uh, I can't see it on my notes. Sorry, but there's a there's a realm within the within Ulthwan which is heavily Avalon. forested. Avalon, which has the Ever Queen as its ruler, and she is also uh, the cons- considered the consort of the Phoenix King. And they, uh, the Wood Elves, have a long history with the tree spirits and also with the larger great tree spirits of one in particular is called Durthu, who helped them, who came to their aid during the first war against in, during the first war against Chaos. Though the price for that would be that the thing known as the world roots, this thing that connects all the, uh, I guess, the spiritual essence of all the the woods and forests of the world together is damaged. And so there's a price to be paid for that. So he was asked to, like, save um, the Everqueen's children. Uh, he t- he spirited them away. But the price that would be paid is that it was her death uh, by Nikari. So really that's the the start of the this group of elves having this uh interactions with the spirits of of the woods of the forests. And during the, the glory age of the of the golden age of the high elves and they travel around the world and they establish their colonies they also establish the woodhold uh, woodland strongholds in places like Athel Lauren which is the eastern edge of Bretonia and is essentially where France is so you've got this huge woodland area uh, where a large amount of modern of contemporary wood elves exist and the wood elves have some particular avatars these are elven gods um, they were actually more minor well, not elven gods, they were high elf lords or ladies who essentially, over time, through interactions with with the uh, with the woodland spirits, obviously change as a result. And that, so these are Orion and Ariel. Uh, the spirits, of course, of the forest, having fought against chaos, become a lot more angry and uh, a lot more nasty and distrusting of anyone coming into their woods other than these elves that have dedicated themselves to them. So you have creatures like sprites and rather fey-like creatures, and then also you have dryads and treemen. But as I said, the, the world roots are being severed, and then when the sundering comes and there's this call for the elves to go back to fight in this civil war the elves that remained in the woods did not and they these elves were the one that ones that were essentially used as both distraction and protection against the dwarves who moved into the old elven homelands uh, or at least elven colonies and began to cut down the woods because obviously dwarves need to make fire to start doing things like smelting metals and various ores so that's how that relationship with those elves that stayed in the forest again further develops and over time uh that that i guess that relationship becomes fully uh, a, a symbiosis as in 
the elves tend to the forest and the forest look after the elves in turn uh, working with the the seasons uh, the uh, Ariel who is their their queen uh, who made her home in Athel Lauren also becomes skilled in a particular type of magic which is called tree singing so this is essentially a form of magic that's tied to the trees and the spirits within them and a typical enemy within uh, modern Warhammer uh, history is, of course, the other creatures of the woods. And this would be beastmen. So beastmen are these goat-like uh, humanoids. Either they were born human and through mutation and corruption become beastmen, or they are born beastmen. And they are a typical, uh, yeah, a typical enemy of the Wood Elves. Uh, one in particular is Morgur, who is a brave shaman who goes about corrupting the trees and the spirits with his, pro uh, and really, you know, perverting these these spirits. Because it's interesting that something that's said in the history of the Elves and their relationship with these spirits is that they realise that the tree spirits are quite similar in nature to the demons of chaos so this is suggestive that the elves are actually aware that the world is filled with spirits that are essentially i guess you could say you know are, are magical entities aligned to order and i guess this ties back into something david with the with in in age of sigma with the lumineth who again are, yeah. are calling upon elemental spirit forces very much so. So we don't obviously we don't know too much about the Lumineth yet, as the the book has not come out. But the hints and rumors that were coming out from them, especially with the current uh, the reveals that we've seen, we are seeing that they they are able to commune with with uh, the realm as well, not just the spirits, but the but the realm is now helping them. Mm -hmm. And massive giant mountain cow thing that has been released. Um, so we're seeing these themes of communication of not just we understand magic, but now we understand where it comes from and the effects that other th um, that they have upon the realms or within the the old world. They they can actually interact with the spirit realm as well. So they start to see these things like the dryads um, during this war. The, so there was a big war. Morgor was a big thing in the early, um, quite early on in the the Wood Elf uh, history, um, where he didn't seem to die. Um, you could never, they never, never seemed to be able to kill him. Um, and it was every time that they they killed him, his spirit came back. And through this, they started to understand the concept of dryads and the spirit realm, and they understood then that this is how he's managing to corrupt the spirits. So. We can now see this kind of interconnectivity with elves and life, so to speak. Mm. The other ways you um, you're seeing it in Age of Sigmar is through the Sylvaneth. So the Sylvaneth in Age of Sigmar are a are, are the dryads. They're the treemans and they're the they're the the spirits of nature coming out, and it's where um, Ariel goes. And she becomes the queen of the the spirits over there. So we see a continuation of the story of the interconnectivity of the wood elves with the land um, through the two systems. Um, but yeah, so the, the 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 beastmen are kind of like the big bad for wood elves as they're both competing over the woods. Um, but 
the main the main group of the Wood Elves is the Azrai, who who exist in Athol Loren, which is in Bretonia on the edge of the mountains. And as much as they don't speak and they don't like to deal with um, humanity and 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 the people, um, there is a, a there's a respect between Bretonia and the Wood Elves in that um, they see the Lady of the Lake. So the uh, Petonia sees the Lady of the Lake, and there's a relationship with the Lady of the Lake and a la- uh, Ariel, uh, which we'll go into in another another session. Um, but there's also a group within the Empire itself, called the Ionir, who are part of the Lorelorn Forest, um, which I think is kind of in the northwest of the Empire, if I remember my Empire geography well. So you kind of got two main groups of wood elves within there, but both of them are still very elvish. They're still very secretive. They don't like to deal with humanity. The Azrai themselves are very, very secretive, but they are ruthless hunters. They are your true sneaky through forests. Don't want anybody around them. Anybody who plays their forest they've not, is hunted and killed. Um, and it is, there are stories throughout the entire old, old world of people going missing because they've strayed into wood elf territory and they've just been killed. Like they, yeah. they want trespassers at all. Anybody who accidentally walks in, whether it's an accident or whether it's on purpose, you're dead on that part. Um, the other one is the Ionir. They're slightly more open-minded um, because of where they're positioned and they will occasionally take part in, in, in Empire politics through the need to um, because they don't want their forests cut down yeah um they can't stand against the empire so in the warhammer fantasy rpg rulebook fourth edition uh in the description for wood elves it actually points out that a contingent of wood elves uh makes camp just south of outdorf in the amber hills and so you know we've got a therefore we've got a sizable group of wood elves of um of uh you know rangers and and so forth existing deep in the right wing forest um which is pretty cool um yeah uh mike have you got anything more you wanted to say about the wood elves and their their oh yeah oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. i mean so we don't know too much about the uh, the Aeonir elves. Um, there's just like a few writings here and there, but the Azrae yeah. are one of like the main um, main armies that was in Warhammer Fantasy back in the day, and has a lot of uh, stuff written about them. We don't really know too much about how their society works. Um, we do know about, of course, like the um, Orion, the uh, the Forest King, kind of being having this like seasonal, uh, like one year. So, so basically, what happens is a uh, a elf will be sacrificed in the winter and in the spring orion will return uh go through and do his wild hunt help the forest and the like and then die have to be replaced by another elf um so we know a bit about that and how their society works with like different uh like kind of elven council that exists in uh um but we also know a lot of like the really like weird kind of awful things that they do because as the Azrae were written about and developed, they really became these kind of like fickle, um, 
very fae-like elves. And they'll just do these bizarre, strange things on occasion. They'll ride out in these wild hunts to Bretonia, uh, capturing and killing. They'll like find Bretonian children and just steal them and bring them back to their elven halls where these, these children become like servants for the elven lords who never grow up. They always stay young and are suppressed either by magic or some of the uh, being fed or, or being forced to drink the uh, the wood elf wine and the like. Hmm. So they are, uh, the wood elves are definitely, it's very easy to portray them as evil, um, which I think is really interesting because it gives you the, a lot of like moral gray areas, just like with the, uh, the high elves and their own hubris and, well, I mean, the dark elves are pretty much just bad. They're, they're bad yeah. guys. <laughs> the the other yeah. thing is um, is the attitude that wood elves have to their cousins because because they didn't leave their homelands, they were never involved in the civil war. They see themselves as the most true elves because they didn't fall. They didn't have a sundering uh, in their eyes. It, the sundering was between two rival factions who, because of their own hubris and politics, whereas these, the the Azrai and Ernia, I guess, see themselves as colonists who who took their their history with them and and took it somewhere else and remained true to it to an extent. I wonder if that's a satire on something else to do with uh, colonialization. Um, Mm, uh, I don't know. No doubt. No doubt. Knowing the way that this this game come, came out, I wonder if that's trying to say something about Canada. <laughs> because, <laughs> I don't no, think so. But... No, well, no. The reason I say the reason I bring up an element of that is because it's the the common thing that if you look at um, different ways that um, lang English language in different ex colonies uh, are actually possibly more true to what the English language used to be compared to modern uh, British English, which has diverged due to numerous things. So I was just kind of thinking along that way, as in like, you know, some of the customs, some of the culinary uh, uh, ideals and, uh, and, and ways which are taken when you buy a group of people, when they, they you know, when they travel away and, and form a colony, while their homelands go through dramatic, you know, political upheaval. Um, so that's why I was thinking, like, is it kind of the relationship between Canada, the US and the and the and uh, Britain, as in, like, you know, there's a civil war between one group and the other group kind of just slowly run away, away. keep keep themselves to themselves and, and exit yeah. into them. And yeah, well, so that's the only analogy I'm making. And it's Warhammer that makes ridiculous satirical jokes. So maybe it's there. Maybe it is. Right. OK. Um. I don't think we've got space to talk about the end times. That's another entire different thing. And also because the Warhammer setting for the RPG will at some point, hopefully make books that hint about and lead slowly to the end times uh, yeah, because so the Warhammer fantasy RPG is set a number of years before that occurs. So that's a, a clear thing that we need to say is like the War, Warhammer fantasy roleplay is set before the end times have even begun, before Nagash has even thought about beginning his his rituals, or um, Archeon has actually thought about um, bringing in the Last Crusade and stuff, so we still have a lot more scope to be able to do things within the world. Um, yeah. Or with Nagash. So a big feature of elves is magic, 
and we've got three distinct flavors of magic going on here. Uh, we've already talked yeah. about high elves. So high elves taught humans the colors of magic, the different winds of magic, as a safe way of learning magic. Because if you learn it whole scale, if you try and draw on all of it, it's particularly dangerous. But high elves have got something called high magic. So how does that differ? Yeah, so high magic is this kind of, uh, it's a common practice amongst high elves, although uh, I believe the Lizardman uh, Slan are also able to use this form of sorcery. Oh, yes. yes, yes. And it's a, uh, it's a kind of synthesis of using all eight winds of magic simultaneously to great effect. Um, because usually uh, when, you, when you're doing magic in the Warhammer setting, if you're like a human wizard or a beast man shaman or orca shaman or something like that, they're only accessing one wind of magic or one source of magic uh, because of the inherent danger of all this chaos energy. However, high elves are able to use all of them uh, simultaneously. Um, the spell list isn't very interesting, uh, but it's just a very interesting concept uh, about how they interact with magic in ways that other people cannot. But uh, I think we can also talk about some of the more heavy metal kinds of magic, which is dark magic. Oh, dark uh, magic is cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Dark magic is definitely, it is, it's the heavy metal dark black metal and stuff so yeah so high magic as you say is a synthesis so it's the idea that you're you're taking the magic around you and you're weaving it together in a balanced way it's harmony it's, it's bringing in that harmony of the elements and combining them in in that nice combined as a balanced way mm. but dark magic is really not that <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. So uh, dark magic, it's important to note that dark magic includes the magic of the dark elves, but also necromancy and chaos magic is considered to be forms of dark magic. And it's usually pretty brutal, epic, and, you know, it's just interesting. Um, so whereas a, to that quickly. Yep. Um, hedge wizardry also technically falls under dark magic. Really? Because huh. it's... Because it's used on the fly, because it uses the ambient magic oh, around you. Oh, yeah, so that no makes kind sense. Of ritual aspect of control behind. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm just about to get into that. So whereas like high magic uh, is playing nice with all these winds of magic, dark magicians just corrupt either uh, local nearby energy, which is kind of the, the the hedge magic effect that Chris was just talking about, or they just corrupt nearby winds. And sometimes this corruption can be uh, irreversible, which leaves permanent blights on the world or the location where spells were cast. And there's also a condition of dark magic called true dar, which I think they also call black magic. Um, and this is what the dark elves specialize in. And what they do is they actually create this effective, like stagnating, stagnant pool in the winds of magic that um, when they actually, if you were actually to look at it in the witch site, of the uh of a wizard uh it kind of just looks like there's this black thick tar everywhere around it and this is um just got some cool spells and stuff one that i really uh kind of highlighted going through was uh Arn Zappel's black horror where a, a caster mm. tears down the walls between realities and a black cloud of roiling energy sweeps across the battlefield and as the darkness travels there's slimy tentacles lashing out from the depths that just drag unfortunate victims screaming to an unknown fate. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. The wonderful thing about that is, is you can also see that again seeping into Age of Sigmar, where they're, they're, 
the dark elves live in the realm of shadow everything and then is kind of dark and mysterious and ribbly and oof, love it yeah um so isn't there within... also within dark magic does blood mancy and blood magic come within the dark magic so the, the, i think the... possibly so um, it's an act of sacrifice and yeah. ritualized kind of murder and corruption and destruction uh within the rpg we do actually have some dark magic uh spells uh they're divided into two separate groups uh, we've got law of demonology which is pretty simple it's you know destroy lesser demon detect demon manifest lesser demon and an octogram which means you can contain a demonic creature within a space uh so all of those rely on the flow of da and then there is of course the law of necromancy because of course our best uh, i have to say is my here's here's my favorite character of all all of all of warhammer here's the here's the Here's the arch bastard of Warhammer, is Nagash. Um, yeah. Necromancy. He learned necromancy, of course, by torturing a dark elf. Yep. So he learned dark magic and then focused in on that one particular strand of it, which is necromancy. Perfected it. Oh, yeah. Mm. And then took it beyond that and just kind of ran with it. And now you see him as a god in Age of Sigmar. So he must have done something, right? Yeah. And then, um, and then, of course, wood elves have um, tree magic, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, is interesting. They do draw this kind of life magic from the forest itself. And it's really just focused on augmentation, movement kind of magic. Um, and it takes the form of tree singing, um, spell weaving, which the elves originally learned from uh, Durthu, that great tree man of the forest. Yeah. It, it's very much a, a, a magic of life, in a way. It, it's not... Uh, the law of beast. It's not the law of life. It's very much a a law of magic that stems from those ideas of growing and moving. All things kind of hippie-ish, I suppose, in a way. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how do how how then do we use the, um, this varying group of egotistical elves in uh, our games of role uh, games of Warhammer? Yeah, oh, so yeah. this is this is why I wanted to show up for this episode, um, because, you know, we're on the fourth edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and there still hasn't been an elf source book. Hasn't been exactly. in one first edition, second edition, or third edition. So if there's any, I don't know, any writers out there for Cubicle 7, you know, listening, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe they can make this happen. <laughs> um, but it's it's really unfortunate. I mean, there's been a dwarf source book for every edition. So, I mean, maybe maybe everyone just likes dwarfs more. but. It's, yes, it's I, actually. I, I, will, I will go down that route. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> they are really fun and unique in the Warhammer uh, setting, so I definitely agree with that. I think. Um, I think there's a, before. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say. I think the reason, and I think this might cut turn. This might be related also to the challenge of playing uh, Eldari in Warhammer 40k. But I think in Warhammer 40k, the Eldari are a lot more. Um, established, like you know, you have the paths of the Eldar, you, the Drakari. We understand why they do their their torture because it's basically soul siphoning. I think, um, I think with with elves is trying to get how you role play them without just ending up being uh, well, no, I, I mean being you know dime store Tolkien essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it yeah. feels Warhammer, but you're elves, not. 
you're playing you're playing Warhammer, but you're actually just playing um, Legolas. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what it comes uh, down it's, to. It's, yeah, it's one of those things within Warhammer that you kind of you have to look at and you have to deal with anyway. A lot of Warhammer, the ideas do come out of Tolkien quite clearly, and they are quite traditional fantasy i uh, ideas. So. Um, I do think when they went down the uh, the route of splitting them up into the three different categories, that helped a lot. But the mm. whole are very much a stereotypical fantasy trope. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, uh, David. And I mean, as we kind of established here, and th- this is a rated R podcast, right? So elves are assholes, but they're just three different flavors of assholes, or maybe four if you count like sea elves and the like. And it's really just kind of refining like what that sort of um, that haughty kind of attitude uh, will dictate in their relationship with other characters, with humans, with dwarves, etc. And, you know, if if you look at all the previous Warhammer uh, fantasy lore, you can start to get a lot of vibes for uh, and, and kind of insights uh, into elf characters, you know, based on some other things. You know, there's the Warhammer army books for the high elves, etc. Um, they have kind of limited usefulness because they usually just focus on the history of major battles and uh, the function of military units instead of how like, these fantasy societies function, which if there's any Cubicle 7 writers listening, uh, really, if you write an elf source book, you should uh, just focus on how the societies work and, you know, maybe their economies and kind of explain that. Um, and also there's, of course, a lot of Warhammer fantasy novels, um, which, you know, I mean, they're long. The details are really spread out, but there's a few good options out there. Um, I actually did read the uh, Malekith novel by Gav Thorpe, uh, I mean, like 12 years ago or something. And it's a pretty good look at High Elf Society before the Civil War and gives you a lot of insights into how Malekith thinks. Uh, it really portrays him as a sort of mythological figure in many ways. Uh, there's the Tyrion and Teclis trilogy uh, by William King, which I have not read, but I'm told it gives a lot of details about High Elf Society and a, uh, a very uh, tense invasion of Ulthuin by the Dark Elves. Uh, Bill King, of course, was one of the original developers of the High Elf lore for Warhammer Fantasy, so he's definitely a good source to look to. And, of course, there's the uh, Malice Darkblade uh, uh, five novels, I think. I think there's five of them. Uh, Yeah, Uh, there's about five. There's absolutely beautiful books. If you do get a chance to read them, do read them. Yeah. Actually, I'm sorry. He's such an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I need to correct myself. There are six um, because there was an End Times novel for Malice Darkblade. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are by Mike Lee and Dan Abnett. Um, and they have a ton of details about Nagaroth uh, and Dark Elf Society, which isn't really found anywhere else. Um, although I do need to note that the later books in the series are considered to be non-canonical by many people because they start introducing a lot of weird new chaos entities and possibly gods that don't actually show up anywhere else. <laughs> um, they're just kind of the, uh, the creation of the author. Um, but as an additional fun fact for darker days listeners mike lee was a longtime world of darkness writer and actually the lead developer for demon the fallen so hmm. that's pretty cool explains probably a lot of why some of the the, the weird some of those books yep. kind of cool that though um a weird fact that they were actually um in the beginning of uh warmer fantasy before uh skaven came out there were five chaos gods Oh yeah, well, I yep. think we've we've gone over that he one. Was, he was very minimal. But we're going off topic. 
Uh, yeah. that, that's that's due to IP um, licensing issues. That that Dark God disappears and essentially is replaced by um, uh, Bellacor. Good old Bellacor. Yeah, because um, yeah, Metal Star Blade. Yeah, sure. Didn't he first appear though, um, or was he, I'm sure he definitely had a comic book series within the Inferno. Yeah, um, yeah, he was he was in Inferno, but that was also kind of at the time the books were coming out as well. Yeah. First. Yeah, yeah. So Mike Lee was the main writer for the novels, but Dan Abnett did the original comic books. Yeah, um, it really, I think he, I don't, I don't think Dan really wrote the uh, the novels. He really just gave his notes to Mike Lee and Mike, kind of did yeah. like proofreading that sort of thing and yeah. consistency review. And Malastar, yeah, the, the Malastar like... plays, they're definitely the the most intense look at any form of Elven society, and he's such a brilliantly yeah. dark, weird character that. He's got kind of um uh what you call him? What's the elf character uh with the black blade um in in other fantasy series? Uh can't think of his name. Are you thinking of uh, Elric? He's not really an yeah. elf. But yeah, yeah he's he's, he's the one of the flavor. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Melnibonians of the Michael Moorcock Elric uh series were a huge, huge inspiration. Uh, for all of the elves, well, really the high elves and the dark elves. Yeah, because I'm because th- obviously Malus has got this whole you know possessed by um, a demon, which which is kind of like the relationship between um, with uh, with um, Elric and his sword in some respects. Um, yep. So something that we've so overall, if you were to play elves, it's this kind of almost attitude that the world owes you one kind of or that you you have a right to the world in a way that other races don't um very much so i think there's definitely that element uh i was gonna say playing a high elf is very much like being a a trader a diplomat a merchant or possibly a, a colonist within outdoor i think is a great way of playing but you will always even if you live there, you're going to still feel like outsider because you're going to be so obviously quite different. Uh, playing a wood elf, though, I think means is a very different uh, prospect because I guess you'll you'll be looking down upon people in quite a different way compared to high elves. Whereas a high elf is just using people. A wood elf, I'm sure, is a bit more cutthroat and bloodthirsty uh, in that respect. Much more what? able to survive and, and much more exploratory, and will know how to to live off the land. Whereas a high elf will require IT in a way. What I think is a interesting kind of plot points you could possibly introduce into your games is actually dark elves, in the sense that you could go back to the classic trope of dark elves pretending to be other elves, and uh, and have them interfere or be involved in your plots uh and that way you can get a sense of the wider world uh without you know having oh it's an invasion of dark elves because i really think you know warhammer fantasy roleplay is that is those quiet times between the big wars mm-hmm. uh, and i think that'll just be fun because then you've got you can quite easily bring in the idea of of elven assassins elven sorcerers who have come to the old world to find some ancient relic or, uh, or you could be dealing with Corsairs if you were doing a Warhammer game like playing uh, a bunch of pirates who 
or, or, or traders who uh, live out in Marienburg or pirates from Talia or Carco- uh, what's the what's the place? What are the pirates? That pirate island is it? Norska, Sartosa, Near- Sartosa, Sartosa. That's yeah. the one. Um, so you could definitely look at Dark Elves uh, as a antagonist in the setting in that in that respect. By um, yeah, Dark Elves really really lend themselves to that because they're not their main their main beef is with the High Elves. That's that's the god. They're they're the ones who they want to really mess with. So they're going to be dealt with in all the way. But if you want to bring them into the empire, there's a lot of subtlety and intrigue between with the way that they work. So they like to work in the shadows. They're not overt, and they're not bringing in mass armies to to the empire. So they're they're going to look at kind of messing with society in ways that are less obvious. So in quieter times, it's going to like how can we destabilize stuff? Who can I poison in the right way? And hmm. look, what's this weird cult? It must be a cult of Slanesh. Oh, shit. No, it's not. It's a bunch or of it, doing psycho elves. Or it, it could easily be, you could think it's a cult to corn, but actually it could end up being a cult of murder to Cain. So yeah. yep. you can really use elves to really, the dark elves, I think, to take the classic uh, you know, Warhammer fancy role play is about corruption and secret societies and the things on the surface are not as they seem and really throw some curveballs where maybe players are expecting oh it's chaos but actually it's not it's something that utilizes yeah. dark magic in a very different way yeah that's a great point chris because um in the uh warhammer setting uh humans do sometimes worship their own bastardized version of cain mm-hmm. so it would be very simple actually for uh just one dark elf maybe a small group of them to move in and start to influence such a cult uh in uh the empire or somewhere else mm-hmm. so yeah that's a really good uh, idea right there or a great idea for a character <laughs> yeah it's a great yeah, idea yeah, for a character who's been trained for uh to be like a similar to a dark elf assassin and the like Oh yeah, um, you could definitely play a human assassin who who yeah attends the guild and everything, but is actually a member of a cult of murder. Wow, that's, yeah, definitely. That's, really, that's a really fun idea. <laughs> There's another awesome um, uh, adventure actually for Warhammer fans to roleplay third edition called Witch's Song, which is all about the interplay between um, uh, dark magic and uh, the dark elves themselves, who kind of show up in the latter half as kind of like the surprise antagonist um so that's like another cool place to look for inspiration and how to use dark elves in a warhammer game i do think dark elves offer so much more than just with bad elves there's so much more depth within them that they can you you can use them they can work together with a group and actually be part of the group they can be your antagonists um they can be a dark power behind something else well, they can actually be work, as I say, working with with the players to to be and push forward an agenda that is unknown. Um, yeah, yeah. Used behind that, um, I think that's that's quite a, a good point. I think dark elves, while there are extremes of their society, which are quite horrific, uh, you know, witch elves murdering people and and uh, you know Malekith's own, uh, you know machinations to take back the throne i think the main there are certainly going to be the main i would say not to say middle class but you know the a large amount of dark health population you know 
is simply trying to survive in a very horrific um, society. And while they will be self-serving, I don't think they'll be so stupid. They're not. They're not mush, mustache twirling uh, bad guys who are just going to kill the player characters on a whim. They'll go, well, no, I just want to get what I want out of things. But these guys are quite useful, and they're morally ambiguous too because they're humans who are like that. Because it's whereas... fantasy roleplay, and everything's morally. Big well, and I think the point with Dark Elves is uh, the point with, about Dark Elves is they're mostly they're not fooling themselves about their emotions compared to their high elf cousins. Yeah. And in a similar way, I think Wood Elves are not fooling themselves about their emotions. But whereas Dark Elves have gone down the path of I'm just going to enjoy life, Wood Elves have gone down the path of my emotions are tied to nature and moving with the seasons. Whereas high elves go down the route of order and everything in moderation, and we're here to see. So there's definitely things to explore to... there. Yeah. Um, the the only the one thing that if you are new to Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, dark elves do not appear in the core book, so we'll need to read around about them. But you can you can take ideas from within the core book and within ideas of some of the the characters, and, and kind of create your own trope of. Dark elf. So don't don't be constrained to the ideas within a book. Actually, go out and explore and do because the dark elves and the elven races as, as a whole have a lot of interesting concepts that can be used. Like, are you playing a a a, um, a high elf who is coming across, but uh, a political high elf who's trying to work in with the empire and prepare it, ready, knowing that the the invasion of chaos is coming. But also knows that it has the doomed fate of the elven race upon its shoulders and is trying to protect itself. Um, so there's mm. a lot of depth that you can go with go into these characters, despite the asshole nature of most of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you guys want to hear about the Warhammer fanfic I started to write in 2006? <laughs> um, it's actually it's funny. No, 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 no. It's actually it was. No. <laughs> It was funny because Chris was actually talking about the differences between the uh, the three cultures. And the main idea that I had was that there were three elven brothers and basically one ended up a high elf, another a dark elf, and the other wood elf. And I think that would be a kind of a cool aspect to run in a role-playing game to have these three related characters from three different cultures. Um, that would be really cool to, to, to explore. And how, how, how does someone who they've all been raised the same but been separated due to and how how they've survived over three four thousand years of differences i would say it'd be more Dark. feasible to run the the characters as descendants from the same family tree that would be uh, a way of sure exploring yeah you could do that too that would be i think that would work quite well um it'd certainly be an interesting way of exploring the three cultures the to each other the other thing is, I think, um, talking about how to rep- replicate Dark Elves, if you want to use them as antagonists, I think it's quite simple enough in the um, in the book, because obviously there are certain careers that, that match pretty well with yeah. what you'd want, like Seaman, you know, Corsairs. I think you can you can pretty much uh, replicate all the different types of, uh, of, of Dark Elf that could turn up as an antagonist. Uh, but then the the thing I think the, the major take home is uh, 
then what? Elves are complicated. They are assholes. They are victims of their own hubris. And we really need an elf book for Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Yeah. I think that's long overdue. Right. Are there any final thoughts on elves and how to play them in Warhammer? Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Sorry. My my, my hatred of elves. Um, I don't particularly like them. So. And they annoy me when people play them in my games because they either go murder hobo elf or arsehole politico. Ah, right. I see. Well, like, that's Fair just my, my, my experience and my, my hatred towards elf things. Haughty. I'm a dwarf player. What if <laughs> you're a dwarf player? What if they yeah. played a really, really sad elf? What about a sad elf? Very <laughs> melancholy. Would you, would you be down with that? No, because you're an elf. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my no, god! I'd, I'd, what a, what a note! I think if, if you did something different with the, with an elf, I'd be interested in it. But they tend to, because there's not much out there for role playing with them. They tend to fit into certain tropes. And I think one of the ways which people should kind of take on this is: yes, there are certain tropes within Warhammer Fantasy for the elves, but there's also a lot more behind them. They're not just, yeah, high elves are arseholes who just will use people to protect the world. But if you look into the high elves, there's, there's more behind that. Dark elves, yeah, they're all generally seen as murder, dark, weird, twisted elves. Again, there's more behind that that they need to survive and they want to do stuff. And wood elves, again, they have friends. They do actually speak to humans. They get on well with the Bretonians. Use that. Don't just go down... Like we said with the orcs, don't go down that straight line of what is known. Explore it and go beyond that general idea. Mm. Cool. That, that's my two cents, at least. Anyway. No, I think that's I think that's valid. I think it, it's really just breaking the tropes of what we we understand of elves as presented in Warhammer, which is really mm. either through the war games or through the few characters that we see in certain books. Um, any last thoughts, Mike, or have we covered everything there? I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Cool. I just noticed one thing I've written down here. Elves can have beards. Apparently there's a <laughs> who has a beard. So remember that. Interesting. Um, elves can <laughs> have beards. And on that note then. Uh, right. So another and otherwise, yeah, we really do need elf book to as you say mike to really find out a bit more about their society and why they think the way they do uh which is you know the way people think is often rooted in uh the society they are brought up in anyway um with that if you want to find out more please come to www.darker-days.org to find more episodes of dark hammer and also episodes of darker days radio there is great content and reviews coming up uh, regarding games such as I think we're doing Dystopia Rising at some point which is a zombie apocalypse horror kind of RPG from Onyx Path and I'm sure we'll be covering in the near future we'll be talking about Soulbound because that is on the horizon I do not have a release date I am not privy to that information I just know it's getting closer from everything that we've seen in the marketing and social media and it looks great because that Dark Elf course uh, sorry that um that uh, is is a dark elf. Yes, it's dark elf set. because it's not freaking amazing artwork. Dark elves do exist in Age of Sigmar, so yeah. Um, 
And uh, if people want to find out other things, they can go to at Darker Days Radio on Twitter. They can go to at Darker Days Radio on Instagram. They can go to Darker Days Radio on our WordPress blog where we might write up like battle reports and stuff every so often. Um, and if you want even more information or to see cool things, go over to Gehenna Gaming on Twitch where you can see things such as our Dark Hammer episode where myself and Mike and Eleanor uh, appear talking about uh, horror in the worlds of Warhammer and how you should approach things like mutation and corruption and mental illness within the settings because we were talked quite a fair bit about that. It's quite informative. Um, Mm -hmm. And also session zero of Wrath and Glory Dark Tides where you can find out about the characters that will be played in the Dark Tides campaign for the 40k rpg i think that covers everything except for if they want to email us they can email us darkdaysradio at gmail.com you can suggest to us other topics about dark hammer that you want covered maybe you want to learn more about the undead i guess undead would be really cool to talk about for warhammer next i think that that, that's that that'll involve a couple of episodes in that one yeah that's a that's a hefty topic Let's what, talk what about vampires, skeletons, Nagash. Oh god, that's just that is a lot. Oh, I yeah. actually, given that the Drakenfels book got scanned for first edition and that's now released as well uh, on the Drive for RPG by Cubicle Seven, I think of that book then the thing to talk about next for Warhammer is actually vampires in Warhammer. Yeah, vampire count stuff. That'd be cool. Yeah, that could be good. Uh, I mean, Dragonfells isn't really. Dragonfells is weird. Yeah, Dragonfells could have its own episode. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. I might just download that PDF because I've never read it, and that book is apparently very rare. So uh, it'd be interesting what was in there before things got nailed down and became the Warhammer that we know now. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Thank you for thank you guys again for uh, another great episode of Darkhammer and talking about the weirdness of uh, of Warhammer. Uh, and with that, uh, have a good evening, and we will be back with another great episode of Dark Days Radio. So goodbye. Take it easy. See you later.